Welcome to Work Disrupted, an Ontario Society of Occupational Therapists podcast. You're in the right place if you're someone that's interested in challenging what you thought you knew about workplace mental health. The COVID-19 pandemic has shown us on a societal level how disruption to any aspect of our life, including work, can impact our mental health. Our career or profession is so ingrained in our identity that disruptions can truly impact our mental health and well-being. This is causing organizations to strongly consider how to support employee mental health. My name is Chantel and I'm an occupational therapist currently working within a hospital supporting the health and wellness of those that work within my organization. And I'm Priya, an occupational therapist working for an insurance company who supports clients on long-term disability to return to work. In this series, we'll interview occupational therapists working in different roles within the area of workplace mental health. Our guests share the ways in which occupational therapy can assist us in getting back to thriving in the workplace. In this episode, our guest is Sandra Wall, an occupational therapist and associate professor at McMaster University. We will explore how the Do Live Well framework can help us to understand and explain how our mental health and well-being has been disrupted in the pandemic and how what we do every day matters. During this episode, we will hear a real story about Christopher, a new immigrant who experienced work disruption during the pandemic. Welcome. Hi, Sandra. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day today to speak with us. Can you start off by introducing yourself to our audience? Hello, it's lovely to be here. My name is Sandra Moll, and I am an occupational therapist and associate professor in the School of Rehab Science at McMaster University. So Sandra, you've been involved in and are one of the founders of the Do Live Well framework. Can you start by telling our listeners a little bit more about it? And really, can you dive into why it's important or relevant to our current circumstances we all find ourselves in due to the pandemic? Great question. So I am one of the founders of the Do Live Well framework. I should also mention that Terry Krupa and Rebecca Gewertz were part of the original group. And we had just finished a great OT mental health conference and we're chatting about current health promotion messages and how often they're very focused on diet and exercise and didn't really recognize the powerful impact of occupation and their impact on health and well-being. So back in 2012, we said, why can't we not develop a health promotion framework that's very occupation focused. And so in developing the framework, we started by reviewing established models of health promotion, looking at evidence supporting the links between daily occupations and health. And our team grew over time to include Laurie Letts, uh, Nadine LaRivière from uh, University of Sherbrooke and Sangha Kim and a range of occupational therapy students that have contributed to the evidence based over time. And The foundational message really of the D-Level framework is that what you do every day matters to your overall health and well-being. And I think that this message is really one that's very core to our thinking as occupational therapists, but it's not something that's necessarily understood by the public. However, when COVID hit and disrupted everything that we do on a day-to-day basis, I feel like this message took on a whole new meaning. Yeah, that's such a powerful foundational message to have. And and I love the way that this foundational message really grounds that. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the other core messages that are within the Do Live Well framework? The core message is what you do every day matters, but then there's three other sort of sub-messages within the framework. So one is that we need a range of experiences to promote our health and well-being. And in the framework, we actually identified eight 
different what we call dimensions of experience. So one of them is this idea of activating your body, mind and senses. So not just your physical body, but also mind and senses. So things like dancing or walking in nature, maybe physically moving, but also activating your mind and senses. The next one is connecting with others, and that could be a lot of different uh, forms in terms of human, non-human, online, in person, taking care of yourself, developing your capacity and potential. So that's things like learning something new, finding the just right challenge. Uh, the next is expressing your personal identity, and that could be through expressive arts or music, for example. Building security and prosperity. So we know that one of the, the foundational needs we have is to be able to survive and um, have a, an income, feel safe and secure. Again, that's taken on new meaning in COVID. Uh, the next is contributing to society. So that could be things like volunteer work or helping others. And the last, my favorite, is this idea of experiencing pleasure and joy and how that's an important dimension of experience. So those are the, the range of different dimensions of experience. The next message is that it's not only what you do, but how you do it. So in the framework, we talk about these ideas of patterns of activity or the nature of the experience mattering. And we talk about five core concepts uh, that are very on a continuum. So activity patterns, we think about the degree of engagement in an occupation, the meaning that it holds, this idea of control or choice, the idea of balance, and the idea of routine. And then the final message is recognizing that what we do and how we do it is very much shaped by personal and social forces. So one of the criticisms of some health promotion models is that they really blame the person for not doing what they should. So it's important to understand how the context that we're embedded in very much shapes what opportunities are available to us. And practical example here, I think in COVID, is this idea of access to reliable internet could really limit what people are able to do during the time of lockdown. I really enjoyed seeing how the different dimensions of experiences were brought together as well as, well as the, the patterns or how that we're doing it as part of it too. I know there's many different people involved in the development of this. Can you share with us or summarize with us some of the evidence to help support the use of the Do Live Well framework? So that's a big question. So we started this work back in 2012, and we did a lot of scoping reviews of the literature for each of the pieces of the framework to look at the evidence supporting it. And we do have an article in uh, the Canadian Journal of Occupational Therapy in 2015 that summarized some of the original evidence to support the key concepts in the framework. So I'm not going to go through all of them. I don't want to bore the listeners. Uh, but We'll say that for each of the eight dimensions of experience, the five activity patterns, there's new evidence all the time and huge bodies of literature that are too dense to cover in one session. But the, the idea of in the, the core ideas in the model have endured, even though there's room for evolution and change. So just to give you an example. So one of the dimensions of experience is this idea of connecting with others. And there's quite a lot of literature talking about social isolation, loneliness, and the links to health and well-being. When you start to dive into the evidence, you start to see that the types of connections can vary quite a bit. We're now in a new world of online connections, for example, and there's lots of nuances, I would say, in terms of what makes a healthy connection and some that are more health-promoting than others. 
And so it's just important to know that there, within each of the pieces, there's lots of evidence surrounding that. And when we start to explore evidence about activity patterns, the other piece that we found is you can see this continuum where too much or too little can be detrimental. So the idea of choice, for example, is interesting. There is such a thing as too little choice. So feeling very disempowered that there's no choice in your life. But on the other end, there's also too much choice, which can lead to feelings of being overwhelmed. So there's this idea of a continuum along some of those activity patterns. And the last point I want to make is this framework is not designed to be prescriptive. So exercise, for example, they talk about, you know, 20 minutes of exercise a day. This framework is not that. It really is about recognizing how it may look different for each individual or each community that you work with. So not a prescriptive model, really understanding the nuances and the meaning that that can have for the individual people that you work with. Yeah, I love that. I love that it's not prescriptive and it really recognizes, um, you know, what we do and how it's shaped by um, our personal and social forces. So going off of that, Sandra, do you have an example of how the Do Live Well framework can apply to something that our audience may be able to relate to? I have an example. It's not a great example, but it's a fun one. So a few years ago, my son, who was 20 at the time, signed us up for hot yoga. It was a Mother's Day gift. And so started to think about what are dimensions of experience that might be core to hot yoga. And, and maybe for some of you listeners out there, you love hot yoga. It does a lot of things. It's really important to you. For me um, or for them, uh, other people doing hot yoga, it can be part of self-care. It may be thinking about activating your body, mind, and senses. For me, it was a chance to connect with my 20-year-old son. So it was a thing that we did together. It did activate my sweat glands, but I have to tell you, it was a bit stressful and not particularly meaningful. I was glad when it was done. So I guess it just, it's a fun example, but just really saying that there's multidimensional natures of the things that we do every day, and it may look different for one than another. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, and also providing an overview of the Do Live Well framework. We'll be sure to link it in our show notes so our listeners can visit the website and take a look. So really keeping in line with the stories of Work Disrupted, uh, we understand that you interviewed a young man named Christopher who immigrated from South America and works in the arts industry. So let's have a listen to this interview. My name is Christopher. I'm from Caracas, Venezuela, and I have been living in Canada for about almost five years. I took advertising back okay. home. I graduated, and when I came here, I went to film school in the Toronto Film School, and I was so lucky. Well, I'm still lucky because I also work in the event industry which is great because that's that's what I used to do back home. So I feel extremely lucky because I've met immigrants that they have to work in different things that sometimes they hate and they don't like it, but they have to do it because they have to survive. And honestly, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky because I'm doing what I'm doing what I used to do, which is events and films and entertainment. During the pandemic, I was I was trapped. I was like kidnapped in my own house with my cat. Being a person that was was used to being outdoor, it, it was so hard for me to to be inside. During the pandemic, I, I I had time to know myself and to improve my social skills. And 
other skills too, like mental health, well-being, and workout. And I was a robot, for okay. example. I went to school. Okay. And at the TFS, the Toronto Film School, it was full time. So some some days I, I arrived at seven a.m. and it ended at nine p.m. And then the next day of, of a full day of, of school, I had to go to the BMO or the Metro Toronto Convention Center to build a stand or whatever. And then I go to sleep and then the next day go to school. And I only was worried about produce money, money to pay rent, money to pay my insurance or to send money to my family back in Venezuela with because the situation in Venezuela is so bad. I don't find other better way to explain um, how I felt because robots, they don't have emotions. <laughs> they just work by power. Or, and I think my power was, I don't know, maybe the, because I wanted to earn money to pay my bills. And I had so many plans. I, I wanted to create my own production company with, with a friend of mine. And all my dreams were taken down because of the pandemic Sandra I didn't move forward with my dreams so you had you were done film school and then you were working to try to earn money to not only pay your own rent but also send money back home so did you keep kind of a paid job then once the pandemic hit or what happened in terms of just trying to live I decided to do Uber Eats okay because I was lucky because I already had my car and my bike. So, and I did Uber Eats a lot. <laughs> Uber Eats has given me the chance to be a more humble person, to understand the, the, that guy that's delivering eight hours, five hours. The, the good thing is that you choose your own schedule. Mm-hmm. With Uber Eats, uh, they, you just turn on the app and you choose when to work. If it's one hour, two or three hours, it's up to you. But I, I did it a lot. Hopefully I had savings, so I, but I, I didn't want to consume all my savings. Loneliness because um, I'm here by myself. I, I told you that in the past I was working like a robot, maybe to avoid all my feelings, mm-hmm. maybe to avoid all, all my loneliness that immigration brings. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in my, in, my, in, my, my, in my house. I used to live in a different place. I didn't have any roommates. And imagine a month just with myself watching TV and listening to the news and getting all that information of people dying in New York, in Spain, in Italy. It was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. Sometimes I didn't watch the news anymore. And I, I read a book or I listened to music. I went running which was also was my lifesaver. And the second thing is technology. And I deleted my Instagram, for example, Sandra, because I found myself comparing my life with others. And I identified that it gave me anxiety. I, I reached a point where I, I just I was crying from nothing. And I cried unexpectedly and I knew it wasn't good. Sometimes I was crying and I, and I felt miserable and I felt, I felt sad mm-hmm. and I didn't know why. I started running. I, I watched a lot of things on, on the TV and I, I think I did it myself. I did it myself. I, 
I knew it was affecting me so bad and I had to do something for myself. Mm-hmm. And my cat, you know what? <laughs> this is funny because when I, when I tell my friends that my pet taught me um, an extraordinary way of love, mm-hmm. of loving someone, they, sometimes they laugh at me. <laughs> but my cat gave me so much love and he, in, in certain way, he saved me from from maybe be being worse when, when I was crying or when I was feeling lonely mm-hmm. and my and when I saw my cat he made me feel happy when I was sad and crying mm-hmm. from nothing I was I was not motivated sometimes I didn't want to wake up from my bed and why, why am I sleeping so much why I'm not hungry or why I'm eating so much ice cream yeah when I'm winning gaining weight and it happened to me all of them all of them it, it, it but it's worse Sandra because when you're in that stage or that storm you don't want to see anybody else mm-hmm. you just want to be lonely and it's worse because you need help and it didn't stop me from 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 working how, wow. how bad I felt exercising give you adrenaline or something mm-hmm. that makes you happy and when I got home I felt good and sometimes I knew that by doing Uber Eats with my bike and I mean biking for four hours in the city when I got home I was tired and but energetic at the same time it's, mm-hmm. it's a weird feeling yeah and it motivated me to motivated me to 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 keep working but yeah. with my car it was depressing mm-hmm. sometimes I, I found myself crying crying when the when delivery Chinese food <laughs> to any mansion <laughs> in yeah. Rosedale I don't think that any any kind of job is is bad so uh, I respect all of them but you always want that your story is different right or better than others I'm running and I'm a better person and I I have learned how to deal with my sadness or whatever I have <laughs> by running and now i recommend everyone i know (laughs) run until your knees doesn't let you it's something that you're feeling during the running it's 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 a play that you have in your mind of resistance and and knowing that you're gonna be a better a more healthier i'm I'm sorry a healthier person uh, at the end and then you have a big feeling of happiness at the end it's like i don't know how to describe it but it's 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 just a huge rush of of adrenaline and happiness that you feel and it lasts for the whole day is there anything else that you have done that's really been important to your overall mental health and well-being one of the things that i started doing is being more worried about animals and i started uh, donating I mean, I'm not a rich person, but I started donating to the Canadian Wildlife Federation because I think we have to to do something for the environment, for nature. And connecting with nature, I think, has has taken me to my my roots as a as a as a, as a human, as an animal, even mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be sometimes in the lake with cold water, seeing the birds flying over you. I know it sounds romantic. <laughs> oh my God, it, 
it's a poem you're writing. No, I'm living the nature. And that's what I'm doing now. Any other words of wisdom you want to pass along about uh, the connection mm. between what you do every day and your health and mental health? When mm -hmm. I used to do dishwashers or wet stuff or even over eats, sometimes I felt so bad that I didn't, uh, my value was nothing, was zero, that I didn't deserve anything. But you know what I did, Sandra? All of those times, I gave my best during work. Even when I was feeling bad and miserable, my attitude was positive because for me, work is, is priority, no matter what you do. It's always a learning experience, no matter what you do. So for all your listeners that maybe they don't have the job they love or they dream of, so try to think that if you do well things with passion, if you do things with love, and professionalism, they will pay off. Thank you, Sandra, for bringing Christopher's story to us. Such an honest and common experience for so many people during this most difficult time. Now, can you tell us, how does the Do Live Well framework, how it can be used to help understand and assist Christopher in his life and his current work disruption? I have to say it was a real privilege to hear Christopher's story, and he really shared very honestly some of the opportunities and challenges that COVID presented in his life. And I probably many of them we can relate to. As an OT, listening to his story from this do live well perspective, to me, there was a few themes that really stood out. The first one is he talked about before COVID, he talked about this idea of feeling like a robot. So for him, this routine of school and work represented the idea of building security and prosperity, which was a bit of an ongoing theme in the interview, particularly related to his story of being a new immigrant in Canada. He talked about the importance of contributing to society as a new immigrant. He talked about the importance of sending money home to his family. Those were important, but they did not really give him pleasure and joy. And Again, reading into a story, feeling this idea of he's missing a sense of balance, missing time for introspection, for example. And then when he talked about the COVID lockdown, for him, what it really disrupted his dreams of building his own production company. This was part of developing and expressing his identity, developing his capabilities and potential. It was his dream to come to Canada to do that. And when that was really disrupted with COVID, he ended up taking on the role of a food delivery worker. And that was a real disconnect for him with his previous image of himself and his identity. However, he always has a silver lining. What it did do is it provided him an opportunity to activate his body, mind, and senses, to maintain a sense of security and prosperity because basic income was important for him to live. And he also talked about this idea of being able to choose his schedule and his hours of work. And that really gave him a bit of a sense of control and a sense of meaning and routine instead of just sitting in his room. So the, this food delivery role take, took on these different dimensions of experience. And to me, it really illustrates the varied dimensions of experience that work can have in people's lives and how it's been disrupted in many ways and how it can really have a negative impact on our mental health and well-being. So this example just it shows you how the Do Live Well framework is really a tool to help us understand and articulate and reinforce the importance of finding a meaning, 
helpful routine that's unique for each person. Thank you, Sandra, for sharing that. And thank you, Christopher, for sharing your story as well. And really, Sandra, now for our listeners, can you tell them a little bit more about how you as an occupational therapist came to be involved in this work, you know, how you went from a clinician to a researcher um, in the area of workplace mental health? Uh, so I, my career started in the late 80s, where probably before many of you were born, I worked as an OT in community mental health settings, loved my work. And in this role, I really saw how occupations were critically important to people's mental health. And I would say in the past decade and a bit, my role has really shifted from being a clinician to a researcher and now find myself doing applied research, focusing on workplace mental health. And I have a few streams in my my program of research, but some of that really focuses on co-designing, implementing, evaluating strategies to support workers. And I have a focus, one focus on healthcare workers called Beyond Silence, another project uh, that focuses on first responders, and we have developed an on-call app. And the other is looking at new and young workers and even student mental health. And I've been quite fortunate to have received funding from a range of places to advance this work and have collaborated with a range of stakeholders, including organizational leaders and employers, other healthcare providers, and even engineers in development of, of technology. I've been involved in sort of the world of e-mental health and app development. And some of this work is really about how can we move the bar earlier for earlier intervention and support to prevent the onset an escalation of mental health problems at work. So how can we reduce the stigma of reaching out for support? Wow, you definitely have a very storied um, resume and, and experience. You've done a lot of incredible work with the applied research that you've been doing. I've, I've definitely come across it in, in my experience as well um, and in my work, and it is well and high regarded. So there's just one last question uh, for you before we uh, continue on. Is there anything you want to share with our listeners who may be interested in expanding into this field of occupational therapy? I think that this is a really exciting time for occupational therapists. There is a real awareness of the importance of mental health and well-being. There's a very clear business case and a human case, I would say, for addressing mental health in the workplace. I see many employers are looking for ways to support their employees, particularly in the health and social service sector. There's a saying that the heavy lifting is now done not so much with our backs, but with our hearts and minds. I believe as OTs that we have a great knowledge base that really understands the fit between the work, the worker and the workplace. And we have strong skills in occupational analysis to understand when that fit is not there. We talked today really about the Do Live Well framework. And to me, that provides an evidence-based foundation for the work that we do. And I think starts to articulate the unique perspective that we bring to the field that is really valued by employers and employees. I personally would love to see more OTs in the field since I think we can really make a positive difference for workers and for organizations. I think you're definitely right. And, and I think our listeners who are interested in this field um, are gonna be quite empowered and inspired by your conversation and, and your story today. I think it's a great point in saying that 
there is a clear business case and human case um, for the work of occupational therapists in, in workplace mental health. So thank you so much for taking the time and, and spending the time with us today to talk with us about the Do Live Well framework. And um, thank you to Christopher as well with sharing his story with us as well. So thank you. And thanks to both of you for putting this together. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Work Disrupted, an Ontario Society of Occupational Therapists podcast. Work Disrupted is produced by OSOT's, or OSOT's, Workplace Mental Health Team, with sound editing by Carlos Noblot. Don't forget to subscribe to Work Disrupted and leave a review. Make sure to follow OSOT on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn to stay in the know about all things OT in Ontario. Check out the episode description for these links and any resources we mentioned throughout this interview. Until next time, thank you for listening.